Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. going on everybody this is talking tactics uh this is our world cup preview for group e my name is daniel it's your boy double h half for friendly friends just trying to stay alive uh you can follow us on twitter at talking tactics facebook talking tactics instagram talking tactics soundcloud talking tactics would you believe it on itunes type in talking tactics subscribe basically wherever you listen to podcasts we should be there so look us up i'm at daniel to look have hope where can the people find you you can find me either on mars or at half hope hot and www.halfhopefootballhut.com yes Um, (laughs) uh yeah this is group e now i apologize all the work i put in for this world cup group all these world cup previews i did 31 out of the 32 countries right it was tough work. We're halfway through the group, so I feel like I can have a little heart-to-heart with you guys. I apologize. I couldn't find anyone who spoke English or would respond back to me that knew about the Costa Rican national team. So this is my bad on Costa Rica. Terrible, if, terrible, if, terrible. Racist, I know, I know. I'm racist, sorry. I'm sorry. What, what is 31 divided by 32? Help me calculate. Um, I, I, got to I did 97% of all the countries in the World Cup, but this is the one... Uh, that I feel bad about. So I'm sorry if you were coming here hoping for some Costa Rica, but that just means you're probably going to get a little bit extra of um, Serbia, Switzerland, and Brazil. <laughs> so it is what it is. I apologize. Um, So is we can so? start with what do we know about Costa Rica? I mean, I know Kayla Navas. I know that, you know, they were in the group of death in, in 2014 with that group with Italy and England. Who was the other team in that group? Uruguay. Uruguay, of course. And, uh, yeah, they got through. So this team is not to be slept on um, by any means. And this is a far easier group than the one they had last time, and they got through. They rode the hot goalkeeper last time. Kayla Navas has gone on to win, you know, three straight Champions Leagues in a row. So maybe they could ride the hot goalkeeper again. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't really know that much about Costa Rica outside maybe of the I'm 2014 World Cup. Have, but They have a really good striker. Actually, wait, isn't some... What's his face? The guy that used to play for Arsenal, Joel something. Joel Campbell. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they have Joel Campbell. They might have Brian Ruiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, used yeah, to Ruiz, play at Fulham. Ruiz and Joel Campbell. I mean, they, they got ballers. I mean, it's not just the goalkeeper, but that's yeah. obviously the main guy who plays at, you know, the most popular club in the world. But I like their flag, if nothing else. I don't feel that we're going to see the same thing. I think based on what they did four years ago, it's very unlikely that they'll they'll be able to have... That was just like lightning in a bottle, what happened four, four years, years ago. And I don't think that... They'll still be good, but I just don't see them having that same kind of spark that they had um, back in 2014. So, so, so who else is in the group? No, I mean, basically, Costa Rica... It's between Costa Rica and Serbia for second place. Let's talk Switzerland before we get to to the big boys. Do you have any beats on on Switzerland? I mean, obviously, I know we talked at the beginning that you don't think they necessarily have a chance to go through, but... Well, apart from living in Geneva for two years of my life, I'm not too sure. And also, they have great chocolates, by the way. I'm really not not sure how Switzerland navigate this group. Always a a good team, a solid team, an organized team, but they they lack that je ne sais quoi. Shakiri, of course, he's... I scored a super good in the Euros... I just don't think they have the extra edge that Costa Rica and thinking have. And I, and I don't think the Swiss team is as good as other Swiss teams of yesteryear. So I don't think that they will be doing too much this World Cup. Possibly they could finish bottom. But who knows? The goalkeeper situation is interesting. I mean, they got a couple good ones. I say good, decent, and Jan Sommer and Berkey. 
Um, Bricky, if, Bricky, I'm, Bricky. if I'm remembering the defense correctly, I mean, Lichtsteiner's their captain. I think they have Johan Giroud probably in the squad. Ricardo, Still, yeah, crazy, yeah. Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, Shakiri, obviously, who we mentioned. Xhaka, who we mentioned. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking of this of this young striker that they have. Is it Balolo or Like, it ends with L or something like that. But, yeah, I don't know. Do you remember our first ever Talking Tactics podcast? One of the yeah. first things we talked about because we did it during Euro 2016 was mm-hmm. Switzerland against Poland um, in the Euro. And uh, one of their players was Briel Mbolo. That's the one. I know, and you called him a brick. <laughs> oh, no, no, he was oh, fully a brick, yeah, 400%. Yeah, man, so they have a, they have a pretty decent squad, but trying to get above Serbia and uh, trying to get above Costa Rica is going to be tough, especially when we know Brazil is probably going to get nine points. So, yeah, this is our interview with Craig from Football Swiss. Really good resource if you want to track the Switzerland national team throughout this World Cup, at Football Swiss on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, this is our conversation with Craig. My name is Craig, and um, I'm from Scotland. I have the um, Swiss football account at Football Swiss. It covers the Swiss football league and the national team. I was um, I was watching Champions League one night, and Basel were playing, and I decided to watch that game. From then, I decided that would be my my second team to support. After that, I seen on Twitter there's a lot of places on Twitter for like Italian football and Spanish football and English, and I thought there wasn't one for. Swiss football and I decided to make one so now I watch all the games rather than just Basel but I've been watching that for maybe four or five years now it's very entertaining there's lots of goals and if you if you watch it you understand that it can be very good but if you're more interested in maybe the big five leagues or other leagues like that you would disregard it you wouldn't really give it a chance so you would need to know about it and have a real interest in it to give it a chance the national team, it depends on uh, the opposition. If it's a weaker team or maybe a team at a similar, similar level, they will attack or try and be more positive. But if you're coming up against maybe France or Spain or someone like that, it's more defensive. If they're at home and against one of the kind of smaller teams or similar teams, they'll always have a go and they'll always try try and get the win and attack. Cool. So um, if you kind of run me through qualification, how did that kind of style work in World Cup qualification? It, it worked well. Um, you couldn't really ask for much better from the group because they ended up with 27 points, which was only three points off a maximum. Uh, loads of goals. Didn't really concede that many. It was just that Portugal had did the same, basically. They finished on 27 points, and it was a goal difference in the end that settled it because Switzerland beat Portugal at home and Portugal beat Switzerland in Portugal. So that was the only difference in the group. Um, so it couldn't have went any better. It probably would have won any other group, but it just so happened that Portugal matched them all the way and uh, they had to qualify through the playoffs. Or it was um, Northern Ireland. They got a penalty um, in the first game in Belfast and a lot of con- controversy and then it finished 0-0 in the second leg. So they went through 1-0. If we could kind of combine those two elements, like Switzerland played generally good football depending on mm. the opponent and they did exceptionally well in qualifying, although you know Portugal kind of equaled them so they had to go yeah. in through the playoff. What would you say are kind of the expectations for Swiss fans or just Swiss- or the Switzerland national team in general? Obviously, they're put in a group with Brazil, which isn't going to be easy. So that might be a game where they have to play defensive. But with the likes of, I think it's Serbia and Costa Rica, do you expect them to play well in those games and, and get points? I, I would expect them to get points. I feel like when, when the draw was made, I was quite happy with the group. But when I look at it now, it's probably one of the, the harder groups in, in the competition. I feel like Brazil are a lot better than they were in 2014. And Serbia and Costa Rica are quite similar, but teams like Costa Rica, they are always in the competition and Serbia seem to be a lot better. I think Brazil will top the group and it could be any of the other three to qualify in second. I'm hopeful that they can qualify, but it's not going to be easy. They need to play at their best. What would you say would be the expectations for people in Switzerland, though? Do they expect to maybe get second place and go to the round of 16? Are they a bit more cautious, kind of understanding what you say, that this is, generally speaking, a tough group? I think they're realistic about the expectation, but I feel like they they will expect to get through in second, but it depends how they play. If they, if they play well, 
and maybe they're just edged into second, and I don't think there'll be many complaints. But I feel like the expectation will be to finish in second and get out of the group. Uh, so we kind of know the, the the usual suspects of Switzerland. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably know Ricardo Rodriguez, Granit Xhaka, Lich Steiner, Shakiri. But are there any players who you would pinpoint as ones that people might not know that much about that you feel like are primed uh, and ready to have a good World Cup? There's probably two that will probably definitely go to the World Cup and um, there's Michael Lang who plays for Basel he had a good campaign in the Champions League he scored a couple of goals against Manchester United and Manchester City and he's been good for most of the season I don't think a lot of people outside Switzerland or maybe in Europe will know much about him unless they've came up against him but he he's one to watch this summer I think he'll have a good a good tournament um, the other one is uh, Manuel Akanji, who plays for Dortmund now. Um, he moved in uh, uh, January, I think, and uh, he's getting he's getting good game time there now, and he's made his name in the national team as well. So I would expect him to play a big part in the summer too. Hmm. So if if we could just kind of look at the those those usual suspects that I kind of brought up. Oh, uh, Stoke got relegated, so I don't know if Shakiri's in the greatest of form. I know Arsenal fans have been kind of complaining all season about the woes of Granite Jack and things like that. Is there confidence in the star players of this team to actually do well? Or have, have people been kind of looking at those players in particular, the star names, and been thinking, uh, they're not in their best form? Well, Shakiri isn't in his best form, but he seems to always be on form for the national team. He seems to be a different player sometimes when he plays for Switzerland. Like he, he can single-handedly drag the team to results. There was a game in the last World Cup against Honduras and he scored a hat-trick in that. He can be the difference and even when he's not playing great for his club team, he's always there for the national team. He always seems to play well. As for um, Xhaka, he's similar. He's um, not in the best form for Arsenal but he tends to play well for the national team and he's always sure to get a yellow card too. So. <laughs> <laughs> but they they know Normally turn up for the national team. They don't seem to be. They don't seem to bring the club form into the international level. Okay, so I got two more questions. I think. Um, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? I don't think many expect Spain to win it, but I think I think Spain have got a chance. France have probably one of the better teams in terms of depth in the squad, but they seem to sometimes just don't perform. Brazil seem very good this year, and Germany are always there. But if I have to pick one, it would probably be Spain. Is there anything I haven't asked you about the Switzerland, the Switzerland national team that you feel is really interesting or particularly interesting that you think people might want to know or should know about the team? I think I think a lot of people are, are surprised maybe at how they play, like especially at home, not so much in tournaments. Um, they tend to be a positive attacking team. I think people expect Switzerland to be more defensive, like one of the lesser teams who don't who are always on the back foot. But they seem to they're quite a positive team and. Over the years, they've shown they've got a couple of surprise results. When they watch Switzerland and they play well, they don't expect that from them. I think they may be surprised by the way they play. Do you know anything about Serbia? Wait, does does, um, big, big, big booty still play for for them? Um, I know he's at Zenit, but I haven't paid that much attention after he left Chelsea. Uh, Big big booty is uh, Brandon Slavovanovic, for those unfamiliar with Half Hope's descriptors of players. Um, um, yeah, Matic, yeah. What's the, the, the Fulham striker who's coming to form that used to be at Newcastle? Oh, yeah, Mitrovic. Mitrovic. Mitrovic, he's scoring goals now. They, they're strong, but I, 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 I still think it can go the way between them and Costa Rica, though. I don't, I don't think that they're like a dead set to finish behind Brazil, Brazil. Brazil's nasty, man. Oh, Br- Branislav Ivanovic is in the team. Kolarov's Col- in the team. Other names people might know, Dustan Tadic, who plays at Southampton, Matic for Manchester United, Milinkovic Savic, he's in there. Mm. Instead of listening to us, we found someone who knows a little bit about Serbia. His name's Ned Markovic, football journalist based in Belgrade. And uh, yeah, this is just our conversation with him. After he introduces himself, he talks about the state of Serbian football, and then our conversation goes from there. So hopefully you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. So I am Nebojša Markovic. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Markovic N-E-B, sports journalist from Belgrade in Serbia. Um, I'm a journalist for a website called Meridian Sport, and I have a podcast there in Serbian. So unfortunately, um, it won't help you a lot, but uh, at least you know.
Right now we're playing in a World Cup after eight years. Partizan had a good season in Europe as well as Red Star because the both teams have been playing in the in the knockout stages of the Europa League, which never happened that Serbia had two teams playing um, in the spring in, in European competition together. In 2015, our under-20 side were the World Cup winners. And in that kind of sense, it's in a kind of a good moment. But overall, it's not so good because um, it's always being compared to the old times when it was uh, the great country when it was Yugoslavia when you know all that was happening prior to the 90s or even in 1991 when when Red Star were European champions then you feel that it, it's not good but it's going in that direction from for several decades so we're kind of accustomed to that kind of situation but generally right now it's it's a positive moment a lot of the other European teams, it was generally easy, but that group with Wales, with Ireland, with Serbia, it was really, really tough. Could you kind of explain maybe your feelings during that time and just how Serbia did in the UEFA qualification? Well, first of all, when we found out our groups for the uh, for the qualifiers, uh, we felt kind of positive because we knew that it was a good group for us to uh, to advance to the World Cup because there was no Spain, no Germany, such kind of teams in that kind. Of, but that was still at the time before the Euro 20, 2016. After the tournament, it was obvious that we were not favorites because Wales were great at the Euros and uh, Austria and Republic of Ireland also played at the tournament and Serbia didn't. And we were in pot four prior to the qualifiers. So we, act, we actually made it to qualify to the World Cup from pot four, which is a very rare thing to happen. The biggest credit for that definitely go to the former coach Slavoljub Muslin and all the players who played really good throughout the qualifiers after a bad period, especially in the previous cycle for, for the European Championship. It's a generally good moment for Serbian football, but then you go into a group that has Brazil in it, that has uh, Switzerland in it, Costa Rica in it. What what are the feelings in Serbia for this group? Are, are you positive that you can get into the second round or just the, the knockout round? Or is there a bit of hesitation given that, you know, you're competing with Costa Rica and Switzerland generally? Well, we are positive, but we're also careful because uh, we were positive prior to the 2010 World Cup when we were in the group with Ghana and Australia and Germany, which is a similar group to this one when you have a one really good team and the other three are fighting between each other we missed that opportunity and um, later on ghana almost came to the to the semi-final when they when they lost to, to uruguay but this time it, it's similar because uh, everyone expects brazil to win all three games so if that happens it's between us switzerland and costa rica to to fight with each other but um, we also have a good uh, schedule because uh, we play the first match against Costa Rica. And if you win that right from the off, you're much more positive. And, uh, and Switzerland are playing Brazil. So if they lose that and, and then you go playing with, with Switzerland, you know, you have much more opportunities to, to go throughout the group, through the group. But it will be tough because you have to earn points in, in those first two matches because in the end you, you, you have Brazil to, to finish it off. I spoke with someone, um, Richard Wilson, who was, he's an expert on Croatia, Serbia, kind of your region. And, and he was telling me that Serbia could top the group because just the way the fixtures line up, where they play Costa Rica and then Switzerland, he was telling me that Brazil could have six points, feel good that they've qualified, play, obviously, like Brazil doesn't have like a bad B team, but they could play a B team knowing that they're already through. And you guys could kind of take advantage and you could maybe top the group. Do you feel like that that's a possibility? Or, or, or maybe he's being optimistic because it's not his country and he doesn't have to deal with the ramifications of thinking such things. Well, I'm I'm happy he's so optimistic. Um, I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't believe it personally because the group E is mixing up later on with group F where Germany is playing. And if Brazil finish second, they will probably go to play against Germany. So they will definitely want to avoid that. First of all, Serbia has to win six points, and uh, we're an odd kind of team. Um, for example, in 2010, we, we lost to Ghana in a match that was... Um, Ghana was not great, but we managed to lose it. And then we go to play Germany in the second match, and, and we beat them for the first time in a group stage since 1990. You feel like, yeah, this is it. We are going through, and then you lose to Australia. So it wouldn't be surprising for us 
to go anywhere from the second to fourth, I wouldn't be surprised, even though I definitely believe that we have enough in this team to, to finish second. Mm, so just looking at the team, who is your manager and how does he line up? Well, this is where it gets tricky. Uh, our manager is uh, Mladen Krstajic, and this is his first coaching job ever. So his first coaching match in a, any kind of tournament or competition will be the World Cup match against Costa Rica. Everything is a little bit odd right now because we don't really know what to expect because he's inexperienced. Um, we believe it will be something between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3, and I believe that... 4-2-3-1 is more realistic because we have um, Nemanja Matic and Luka Milivojevic in those defensive midfield areas who, who will be needed to play both in the in the starting 11. It's a tournament. You, we are definitely not able to play with one holding midfielder and be very good defensively. We would have to have a little bit more of shield in front of the back four. There is talk of Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who is expected to be this amazing player at the World Cup, mostly through the prism of the media talk. I believe it's kind of rushing to say that because he only played twice for Serbia in two meaningless friendly matches, and it will be tough for the manager to... To fit all the players, uh, for example, Matic and Milivojevic and Milinkovic-Savic, who is a different kind of midfielder. He's not attacking midfielder, but he's not really a defensive one. He's roaming everywhere. He needs a lot of freedom. But then you have Dusan Tadic, who is a typical number 10. If Sergei Milinkovic-Savic plays, then where will Tadic go? Will he go on the right flank or left flank or will he stay there? So it's it's a lot of questions even for us because we didn't see this 11 at, at any point that we'll probably play because Milinkovic-Savic didn't play during the, the March friendlies. He was injured, so we can't wait to see how it's actually going to line up and the friendlies against Chile and Bolivia are supposed to tell us more. Hmm. So I have, I have kind of two questions on personnel in that way. Um, I don't want to stutter through his name, but Malinkovic Savic. I see a lot of people who just watch Lazio and just Serie A in general. They really see this guy as like one of the next great midfielders. Has that sentiment or that feeling always been in the Serbian kind of camp or has this guy just kind of come from nowhere? No, he definitely didn't come out of nowhere because he played in 2013 at the Under-19 European Championship, which Serbia won. And then two years later, probably our best player when we won the World Cup in New Zealand for Under-20. So he was one of the five players that were part of both of those sides. And we knew about him for a long time. And uh, especially in New Zealand, in that age group, you could see him being looking like he is much older because of his physique and everything. But right now, there is a feeling that, yeah, that he has a potential to be the next great thing in European football. But it's always easier to say, yeah, he has the potential, but, you know, will he become that? I think that uh, in at Lazio in the past two or three seasons he has been on a on a good path towards that, but here for Serbia it's a it's it's a specific kind of situation before this World Cup, uh, before because of everything I've said previously. I think that the European media are maybe expecting from him right at the World Cup to be this great player and uh, an amazing star but it, it will be much tougher than maybe they think because Serbia are not Brazil to to dominate every game. Alexander Kolarov is in this team, Ivanovic is in the team, he's 34-35. What is the kind of sentiment around those older players? Did people kind of want to see them in the squad, phased out? How was the kind of feeling with these those kind of veteran players? Uh, they definitely want to see them playing because they are the best we have right now. Kolarov had an amazing season with Roma and it, no one really expected it to be so great and now he got the the armband from the the captain armband from the from the new national team coach Ivanovic lost it who was the previous captain but I believe that Ivanovic will play uh, in the starting 11 at the World Cup because of his experience and everything mm. he he can offer to this team. And Emmanuel Matic is in his prime. He's a defensive midfielder who is about to turn 30, but he's far away from those late years in his playing career. He can still play at this high level for a few more seasons. 
they definitely need to play and I don't believe that there is anyone thinking that there is anyone better in in Serbian national team to be starting ahead of them. Who do you think is going to win the World Cup? Oh, that's a tough one. Personally, <laughs> um, that's a million dollar question or even more. Personally, I believe that the two biggest um, contenders are Brazil and Spain with Germany right behind them. I, I believe that Brazil have a really, really good team, much better than in 2014, much more complete and well-balanced with a better manager. And uh, Spain have been uh, putting in some younger players and getting that fresh blood into a team that won everything. And they still have an amazing back five, if you include the goalkeeper. They have everything to become world champions, and they have a lot of players that have done so already. Mm, all right, so last question. Is there anything I haven't asked you about, you know, the Serbian national team or just Serbian football in general that you feel like is really interesting that you think people might want to know or should know? Um, Mladen Krstajic called up 27 players uh, that are still are options to be in the final 23-man squad. And uh, all five of those that were part of the under-19 winning team in, in 2013 and under-20 in 2015, all five players are still within a chance to go to the World Cup, which I think is a very good thing. Um, Nemanja Maksimovic is playing at Valencia and there is Miloš Veljković at Werder Bremen, a couple more guys. And I think it's a really good thing for them to go to the World Cup to, to feel it because they are the future of this team. A couple of a couple of guys from that small group are, have some leadership skills and they could become leaders of a new generation. I, I think it's a very good thing because everyone were um, kind of afraid when we won those two underage tournaments because we never managed to afterwards deal with those players in a best possible manner. Um, for example, the team under 21 in 2007 that came second had Kolarov and Ivanovic and a couple more guys in that team, but we never managed to do a big thing with them on a, on a greater stage in, in that first team of Serbia. So I hope this is a good start for some nicer times for, for Serbian football. Now, everybody's low-key favorite team, unless you're from South America and, and hate them, Brazil. I mean, ob obviously I picked France and people who listened to the podcast, you know, a couple of days ago, uh, the group C1 will know that I picked Le Bleu. But if not France, then I, I, I like Brazil. The squad's mm. deep. They've improved since 2014. They're not as reliant on Neymar um, as they were when, you know, they... Yeah, and, and also they, they don't have an R&B duo as their strike. <laughs> Fred and Joe. <laughs> uh, if only his name was Joe Joe, like Casey. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, they've improved a lot. Maybe not just improved, but just developed. And, uh, you know, their goalkeeper situation has improved. Center back, a little bit better. Um, Mar Marquinhos is probably an upgrade on what David Luiz was in 2014. It's a shame that Danny Alves doesn't go, but yeah, their, midfield is, their midfield is good. Actually, on that Danny Alves point, that means Danilo probably starts, which Lord is a heaven. bit, yeah, which is a bit, eh. But, uh, you know, left-back situation sorted with Felipe Luiz and everyone's favorite player, at least on this podcast, Marcelo. Um, their attack is just gross. Even if Neymar's fitness is a question, like Diego Costa, why am I saying Diego? Douglas Senior, Costa. Jesus, Douglas. Firmino, Douglas Costa, Villian, Renato Augusto. It's tight. Paulinho, but I mean, Neymar is needed. Without Neymar, they can't win the World Cup. I don't, I don't care who you name. Without I, Neymar, I, they can't win the World I, Cup. I think, I think they could win the World Cup without Neymar. They won't, but it's... They can't. They I'm going to tell you, they can't. They, they can't. 100% they can't win the World Cup without Neymar. Why not? In in like a semi-final, Neymar is that kind of guy that they, that they, they need. You need that killer guy. And sorry, Coutinho, William Jesus is not that kind of guy that in a semi-final in a recruitment game can turn the tie in their favor. Neymar is that dude. Like how Ronaldo was that dude. Like how Pele was that dude. How Zico was that dude. The team is just a quality team that's without Neymar. Yeah, se semis with Neymar. Okay, now they, they can actually win it. So I mean, if without Neymar, the only teams they can't beat generally would probably be Spain, maybe France, but I feel like they probably and still Germany. could. And Germany. You know, 
they could win without him. It's just that they won't win without him. They can't at this, they, at this World Cup. I don't and think they can't be real. They can't win the World Cup without Neymar. Sorry, that you have to have that guy. Like Spain are a team that they don't need that guy. Brazil are a team that whenever Brazil have won the World Cup, they've always had that guy: Pele, um, Garrincha, Romario, Ronaldo. They've always had that guy. That is just the the icing on the cake with a super talented team. So is this your like second team? I don't, I don't, I don't do second teams, bro. Like my thing is that I know. Like, I was just asking because I know you always claim you're like one. I'm not. Like, I'm one not. No, 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 I've, I've changed. I'm well. Technically, like, because my, my, my mom keeps keep telling me that, like, you know, my Brazilian uncles wanted to see me and so forth, you know, but unfortunately they, they passed away. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, like I'm Brazilian on my, on my, on my mom, mom's side, but that's like 1%. I'm 99% my children. <laughs> so, 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 so even in Nigeria met Brazil, like, I couldn't, I couldn't give a crap about Brazil. I'd want them destroyed. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, 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 I don't have a second team, man. All right, I was just curious. Uh, all right, so this is going to be our conversation with Jack Lang at Jack Lang. And uh, yeah, we'll see you when it's over. My name is Jack Lang. I write about football, European stuff, bit of Premier League, and also a lot of Brazilian football for anyone who's got money for me, really. That includes Eurosport, ESPN, uh, 442, and some of the newspapers in England. The Seleção, the national team, is in a relatively good place, I would say. Obviously, memories of what happened in 2014 are still very strong. That won't go away for a while. A defeat like that is going to mark any nation, especially one whose love affair with football is as strong as Brazil. So I think people will be talking about that defeat for some time yet. But the last couple of years have provided real reason for optimism. Chichi, the new manager, has done a fantastic job. The team is settled, uh, well-organized, team spirit is very good. So I would say that they actually have a, a very good chance of achieving some kind of redemption in Russia this summer. So I think most people would agree in Brazil from opinion pieces I read and the people I speak to that that situation is probably as is as good as it's been for some time, actually. But then you contrast that with the state of the domestic game. And frankly, it's it's really not great. It's maybe the last few months have brought a slight improvement because there are the kind of ideas that we associate with European football over the last two decades or so. Possession football, interesting tactics, those kind of things are actually slowly filtering through with a few young coaches. But Unfortunately, that forward-thinking approach is not matched in the boardrooms, for example. So Brazilian football is debt-ridden, corruption-ridden. It's badly organised. It's violent. The fans are not treated very well, but sometimes I would say they don't deserve to be treated well. There's a lot of short-termism, a lot of partisanship. It's not always the easiest place to love domestic soccer so their average attendances are worse than MLS for example I think this last couple of years have been 14 or 15,000 so they're producing players to go to the national team but the truth is that most of those players do their most important development abroad when they move away at you know 18 or 19. I would actually say the league is probably worse now than when I started really covering it which was probably about coming up to eight or nine years ago at least then you had the excitement of you know Neymar coming through being a potential world-class star. You had a couple of teams who were doing interesting things, but it's difficult to recommend someone who doesn't watch Brazilian domestic football to watch it because the reality is it really doesn't stack up against the European leagues very well. Mm, I find that interesting that the kind of Brazilian domestic league is is weak, but we look at Brazil's uh, national team, it's, it's very strong. And if you look at the qualification in uh, South America, it went really well. Could you kind of talk to me a little bit about South American qualification and kind of the breeze that that ended up being? Yeah, South American qualification is, is a weird one because it lasts for absolutely ages. Uh, the teams aren't split up into separate groups. They're all lumped together. So everyone plays everyone twice, almost like it was more of a league than the kind of knockout style uh, qualifiers you see in Europe and in some other continents. So it's all against all. And that means that there's massive scope for teams to kind of oscillate in their quality over that time. So the the, you know, the Argentina starting 11 that starts qualifying is very unlikely to be the one that ends qualifying because it just lasts so bloody long. And there's a lot of traveling involved. There are a lot of kind of factors like uh, altitude is a factor in Bolivia, say, and there are lots of kind of local things that probably make it a little bit harder than European qualifying is, for example, where everywhere's 
pretty much the same in terms of organisation. So that presents certain challenges. Brazil made an abysmal start. They, In my view, they made a massive error in reappointing Dunga after last <laughs> World Cup. So, you know, you had you had that 7-1 and you could lay a lot of blame for that on Luis Felipe Scolari. Of course, he is, you know, he is a World Cup winning manager from 2002. So he's got credit in the bank, but that, did, that didn't go well at the end of that tournament. So I think a lot of people wanted to see drastic change after that. But Brazil's FA, who aren't particularly known for being forward thinking, uh, they went back to Dunga, who had been, you know, his first spell in charge hadn't gone well. But yet, weirdly, they decided to give him another go. So really, Brazil wasted two years of this of this four-year World Cup cycle, which I think is one thing that could come back to bite them. So yeah, they started qualifying very poorly. By the time Dunga uh, left for the second time, they were sixth in qualifying outside of even the playoff place. Obviously, a major concern for a country that's never failed to qualify for a World Cup. But yeah, as you say, in the end, it ended up being ended up being a breeze because Chichi came in, freshened things up with a couple of new players, a couple of old players brought back in. A sense of calm, I think, and planning that was missing before. And yeah, they went on this remarkable series of wins, hardly conceding a goal in his first nine or 10 games. And in the end, made it look very easy. They were actually the, the first team to qualify through uh, the qualification process, joining Russia in the finals. I think you have to look at it at, as a campaign of two halves, really. Yes, they did find it very easy in the end. But those first two years, you know, there, there were a lot of causes for concern there. And I think if there's one criticism you can level at this side, it's that, yes, you know, they are shaping up nicely, but they'd probably be in far better shape if they'd had those extra two years to test alternatives, to tweak. So it's still quite a young project in that perspective. So if if we can kind of combine those two questions that, that I've asked you, the team is really good and they breeze in qualification, although maybe not as good as you think they could have done. What what are the expectations for this team? I know everyone thinks uh, Brazil have to win the World Cup or make the final, but what is the general mood in Brazil? Is it what everybody else thinks, or is there still kind of some hesitation in the fact that they didn't perform as well as you think they could have? Mm, I I, th- I think the the general mood is optimistic for sure. There's uh, I think there's a, a recognition that the squad is a lot better than it was last time out. The manager is certainly seems to have a better connection with the players than his predecessor did there's you know Neymar is coming to a probably the perfect age to play a World Cup assuming he's fully fit there's a lot of factors that are lining up for Brazil at a good time I think the difficult whether you know whether they're the outright favorites I think is hard to say and I would say that not really looking at those those two years under Dunga but especially looking especially remembering 2014 I don't know if it was overconfidence but there was certainly too much emotion going into it obviously a home World Cup is something that any team would want to win and Brazil having had a, a history of messing things up on their own patch dating back to 1950 that only added to the pressure last time I, in the end I don't think that was massively healthy so the players uh, you know mobbed by people whenever at the airport all of that and which players are used to but it all adds up and then when you consider Thiago Silva crying I think it was after the uh, the win over Colombia the emotion getting to him then you've got David Luiz lifting up that Neymar shirt when Neymar got injured before the Germany match <laughs> Uh, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Levin, but that, that, I find that that's one of the most funny things. Like yeah, Neymar was was like dead, was, you know. Exactly, it was it was like a memorial service and completely inappropriate in tone. I think for for a match like that, like David Luiz, I, I I really like as a player. He's got a lot of faults, but I think he's he's won my heart over the years. But that I think did Brazil no favors, and just those little things added up to create a climate in which it would have been very difficult for any team to thrive, and especially one that had such obvious short comings you know after Neymar had got injured the depth of the squad just wasn't there to overcome a team like Germany so I I think actually that knowledge of the strength of other teams Germany especially but Brazil are you know they played a lot of friendlies recently they know the strength of uh, Spain of uh, France probably Argentina as well despite their troubles so I think there's probably more realism this time and if anything that should favor them because hopefully it will take a little bit of the pressure off. I wasn't planning on going here, but we're here, so why not? How how do you think 7-1 has influenced this team at all? As you kind of said in the beginning, it's still it still lingers there in some way. Was it 2004 when the American national basketball team got they they lost in in the Olympics and they came back the next one and instead of the dream team they called it the redeem team in mm-hmm. some fashion. Is this are they on a mission? Is their mission to like wipe away that 7-1 defeat or is this like we've 
totally blank that out of our memory. We, we're, we're starting afresh, and let's just go again in that sense. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because I'm I'm working on a piece for for Eurosport that will be out before the World Cup about exactly that whether seven one will have a kind of negative legacy or whether it could be used as as fuel for this campaign spoken to a few people about it. i spoke to scolari actually i interviewed ronaldinho weirdly a while ago and he his answer was excellent he just said oh football changes every wednesday man you know you don't have time basically to think about what happened a few years ago it's week by week and you just live in the moment but there has certainly been a, a psychological scarring maybe that has been eased since chichi came but i think certainly the players who who appeared in that game maybe Neymar might be spared that feeling a little bit because he he missed out but you know think about uh, Marcelo think about <laughs> Fernandinho uh, these got William these guys were Daniel Alves you know would have been but he's now been he's now been injured Paulinho these are guys who were on that pitch that day who experience what you know what must have been the worst day of their careers probably the worst day of their lives and you would hope that the determination to overcome that would outweigh the fear of it happening again if you see what I mean yeah you know there cannot not be some kind of lingering thought in the back of their mind those players especially about what happened but from what I can see from the outside certainly the 7-1 isn't a topic that's broached in press conferences with Cheech he's very forward-thinking very pragmatic I would say so if anyone can get them, you know, in the right mindset, I think I think he's on the right path. There won't be an overload of emotion. There won't be an overload of pressure and there won't be an overload of grim nostalgia for, for what happened four years ago in an ideal world, obviously. So if I had to if I had to say which way it was going to lean, I, I could imagine it being actually a, a positive thing, a learning experience that they might just be able to turn into something a bit more beautiful this time. I wonder if it's a positive if they played Germany, though. Mm, yeah, I I, th- I agree about Germany. I think the the visual memory of that would play a factor. And obviously, were Brazil drawn against Germany, you know, the Brazilian press press would be instantly flooded with all these articles. You know, <laughs> what's what's changed? What can we learn? Would yeah, that would massively come to the table. Were Brazil to draw Germany, there, there was a friendly recently between them, and there was a you know a, a little bit of that. I think it was mainly tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, Brazil's chance to strike some revenge. Obviously, a friendly nobody really cares. So if they were to draw them, I I could imagine that being a slightly more tough situation to deal with psychologically. And I I'm sure if Brazil could choose any team not to face in this World Cup in the knockout series, it, it would be Germany because as much as they would love to beat them. The prospect of losing to them again, their old enemy, I think would, would be very tough to bear. Biggest question mark of this kind of Brazil team is obviously the the health and the form of Neymar. Do you have any beat on whether he's up to full fitness? Do you know how Neymar is doing? I guess would be just the general question. From what the Brazilian FA team doctor is saying, and you know he's been monitoring Neymar very closely. Neymar's been in Brazil nearly this whole time, only only went back to France recently. And I'm sure Rodrigo Lasmar is his name. I'm sure he will be watching him every step of the way back in Paris. You know he'll be back and forth, but I'm sure he'll be spending a good portion of his time pre World Cup in Neymar's company. From what he's saying, things are on track. We can't have hundred percent certainty that the the diagnosis, the positive diagnosis, was correct, but um, you know, I'm I'm led to believe that he is getting there, and I, I think this, his situation at Paris Saint Germain. There's a lot of people who would question his commitment to them, who you know, wondering whether he's off to Real Madrid already. If there is to be a beneficiary of that, it, it might be Brazil. So his massive star status there, the the power he wields in the dressing room. If it had been a lesser player or a different club, maybe they might have even been rushed back a little bit earlier but I think you know him having that kind of power him almost being bigger than the club you might say will have ensured that you know his priority especially as soon as he got injured but as PSG crashed out of the Champions League his priority instantly turned into being the World Cup there's no doubt that he's had more rest than many other players might have been afforded if there was any chance of him coming back a bit earlier he will have put that on hold knowing that it's all about Brazil now. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was, you know, missed their pre-tournament friendlies or was gently eased into the tournament. But certainly his fitness is going to be is going to be crucial to their hopes. Let's say Neymar is eased into 
just his his comeback or his or the tournament at large who mm. does the burden of creativity fall on in that way is it like is it going to be by committee or is it going to be like yo we need Coutinho to make all the goals and all the assists we need Douglas Costa or Willian or somebody like that to do it is it going to be by committee or is like one player in particular going to be like okay you have to carry us for x amount of games Mm, it's interesting because that, I mean, that very question has been one that's received a lot of attention since Neymar's injury. So the last couple of friendlies, people are asking this. And obviously, if Neymar continues to be eased back in, it will be asked more. But the, the short answer is that, uh, so Chichi's base formation through the last stages of qualifying was a, was a 4-1, 4-1 with Casimiro at the base of the midfield, Paulinho and Renato Augusto as the more advanced central midfielders, Neymar on the left, Coutinho on the right, even though that's not his most natural position, and Jesus up front. But even before Neymar was injured, and especially after, there was a sense that Chich wanted to try something a little bit different. He, he's spoken of this, the term he uses is in Portuguese, it's hichamista, literally means like a rhythmist, a percussionist, someone to give the rhythm in more central areas. I think he would have given Coutinho that role, probably in the friendly against England earlier in this year. Coutinho was, was just coming back from injury, so he wasn't really able to, to do that, but before Neymar's injury, the idea of moving Coutinho into into a more more influential role, I suppose, in a central area, and with obviously the form of Willian, who's kind of fluctuated with Chelsea, but at that point was doing very well, and it's very good for Brazil. He would come in on the right, letting Coutinho kind of come inside, more of a four-two-three-one almost. From that point of view, I think Neymar's absence, Coutinho would have to take more responsibility creatively. But I think were Neymar to be injured, I think probably the most the most likely solution, yeah, would be Willian on the right, Coutinho probably in close to a number 10 position, then maybe Douglas Costa on the left. So I think committee to some extent with all of those players chipping in, but I think a, a lot would be asked of Coutinho to make the difference with a final pass or, or a long shot. I'm just thinking, okay, yeah, Neymar leaves. Let's just plug in Willian. Let's just plug in Douglas Costa. Let's just <laughs> yeah. have Coutinho do more. Then it's an embarrassment of riches, really. It's all not right, bad, so. is it? No, no, it's, it's really not. Firmino or Jesus, who starts? Oh, at the moment, Jesus, definitely. Uh, obviously, Firmino is a player who has made a massive, massive impression in Brazil. It's odd in Brazil. Of, often these players who leave the country before making a mark in the top flight. So Firmino played for a, a side called Figueirense, who's fairly small to middling team, sometimes play in, in the top flight, sometimes not. He only played for them in Serie B before going to Hoffenheim in Germany. So he didn't have a, you might think of it as a, as a constituency, he didn't have the public recognition that some players have. And in Brazil, for some reason, that, that sometimes leads to a bit of sniffiness, a little bit of scepticism about their ability. So when he was, for example, first called into the squad, people were saying, oh, you know, who's this Firmino guy? What, what's he doing in place of Joe X, who plays for my team, Flamengo? What, what's this guy ever done? Firmino's work at Liverpool, you know, coupled with a few very sparky performances for Brazil as, as a backup, has earned him a lot of new admirers. I think he is probably, I would say, he's probably going to be the best backup striker, probably maybe even the best backup player anywhere in the tournament this summer. But Gabriel Jesus is the man with the number nine jersey. He's been probably, you know, if, if you had to pick a player that represents where Brazil have, the transition from the old Brazil under Dunga to the new Brazil under Chich, he would probably be the one. He's the player who was brought in quite early by Chich in his first game. He was a teenager. He was still playing in Brazil. Chichi kind of put all his faith in him, said, no, this guy's got something about him. I'm, I'm going to play him. And he's been rewarded many times over. Jesus has you know, been excellent for Brazil. He's great in qualifying. scored a lot of goals. He's a badge. He's a symbol of the Chichi era. He works hard. He does a lot of defensive work, helps Brazil in many more ways and just scoring goals but also does score those goals it's tough luck on Firmino because he's he's a wonderful player and there's massive scope for him to have an impact but at this moment as we speak barring injury or anything it'll definitely definitely be Jesus starting up front I'm asking this to everyone although people don't really like this one who do you think is going to win the World Cup uh, if I had to put cold hard cash down I would probably say if it was just one I would say Germany I always have the feeling that having won a tournament recently alleviates a bit of the pressure so they they've obviously got massive massive strength in depth Yogi Love knows the players inside out I you know I, I think it's very hard to see past them just after them I would say Brazil would probably be my second favorites then Spain France something like that and last question um is there anything I haven't asked you about Brazilian football the Brazilian national team that you find particularly interesting that you think people should know or might want to know 
the Neymar injury prompted a, a series of maybe a little bit slightly optimistic, but also heartfelt articles in Brazil kind of comparing his situation to uh, what happened with Ronaldo in, in the lead up to 2002. Obviously, the situation's vastly different in that Ronaldo had hardly played a game of football in, you know, two, three years, really crocked, whereas Neymar is quite a short injury. But nonetheless, that kind of narrative has been quite intriguing to Brazilians, especially, you know, Ronaldo himself having gone through his World Cup heartache in 98, achieving redemption in 2002 after an injury layoff. So you had all these articles, these opinion pieces, kind of drawing these comparisons between them. It's it's hard to see Neymar in a, as positive a light as as people do and did Ronaldo, because Ronaldo, I think, is he's not universally loved, perhaps, but he's he's got a lot more credit in the bank as you know as a, as a person. And that goal in two thousand and two really capped what most people think as one of football's great redemption stories. So I, I'm interested to see if Neymar does come back from his heartache in 2014, that injury when he was really just about to take off at his home World Cup. He'll be motivated and I wonder if a similar kind of redemption story for him would really bring home his popularity. So he's very popular in Brazil, of course, and popular as a footballer, but the way things have gone at PSG, I think there's a few questions still existing about his his moral fibre, shall we say, you know, he's not always the easiest guy to like, I don't think. But I'm I'm hopeful that he will he will have a tournament to remember. And if he does so, that Ballon d'Or he's so desperate for will probably come a little bit closer. Now, the moment of truth, who goes through, have hope? Other, obviously, Brazil get nine points, seven at worst. So who's the second team behind Brazil? Serbia. Despite me not talking to anyone from Costa Rica, I'm going to pick Costa Rica because I feel like it would be my luck that the the team I don't talk to probably does the best of anyone not named Brazil. So I'm going to go Brazil, Costa Rica. Brazil go how far? And you're with Neymar. They win or they make a final? Well, no, that's okay. I have no, no idea. With Neymar, they can definitely win. But I have no idea who can win the World Cup. Like, I, I haven't had it. I haven't picked anybody. So I don't, I don't know who can win it. What do you mean you haven't picked anybody? You, you have to have a preliminary pick. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I don't care. I, I won't pick any, 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 anybody. Once again, a big thank you to Neb, to Craig, and to Jack for coming on and helping us out. The links to their podcasts and Twitter handles are going to be in the description of this podcast. So go check those guys out. As I say, really, really good resources for people who want to stay in tune with these teams in-depthly during the World Cup. So I really encourage you guys to go follow them. Um, follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Instagram Talking Tactics, Facebook Talking Tactics, SoundCloud Talking Tactics, or basically anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Um, so remember to follow us or get in contact with us somehow. I'm Daniel to look half hope. Um, sorry, um, the the gin and tonic is is getting to me. That's half a pot. And we will see you guys tomorrow with uh, Group F. Stay black. Stay black. Stay black. Sports Social Podcast Network.